Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Chris and David talking about Step 1 and the alcoholic cycle. Hi everyone, my name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic and we're just going to get our guest speakers to move down to the front so they can check this out as well. Um, this is a new presentation that um, David and I have put together. We only finished it on Tuesday and was tweaking it as we were walking out the door to do it at Mooney Ponds. So, and I think it's been changed several times since. Uh, so bear with us if I stumble over the, the language of the wonderful big book. <laughs> but um, I'll pass you over to David and we'll get going as soon as we can. Okay. Hi, my name's David. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, David. I'm a member of the uh, Working With Others group. It's, I'm really, it's really great to be here. I, this is one of the highlights of my year each year, this Melbourne AA Steps weekend. I just absolutely love it because I'm a member of this wonderful group, the Working With Others group, and I just love being a member of a really, really active group that does things like this, plus doing things like you know visiting rehabs and t- detoxes and, and all the other things that we do and, and the meetings we hold uh, you know, on Friday night and on a Sunday night in Gwentville and Waverley. Just, uh, it's really good. Anyway, tonight we, tonight's presentation, the title is The Alcoholic Cycle. And so really we're talking about, going to be talking about step one of the program, where we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives become unmanageable. And this is the step one, uh, of, you know, it's the first step of this 12-step program. And this is what this whole weekend is about, this 12-step program that enables an alcoholic like me to get sober. So... Um, as we go through this, Chris is going to be doing some readings and out of the out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I want to t- go to the source. You know, so this is not just my it's my experience, right? Uh, but it's also uh, uh, I'm getting we're getting a lot of this stuff straight from the from the big book. You'll see as we go through. I want to f- first start off by introducing you to this guy. This guy's name is Dr. William Silkworth, and he was really instrumental at the beginning of AA because. He really gave AA an idea about what alcoholism really is about. Before AA was around, before Silkworth was around, there's a lot of different theories about what caused alcoholism and what, what, why an alcoholic drank the way that he did. People thought that it was a moral failing or there was some other problem, you know, psychological problem. Silkworth treated around 20,000 alcoholics and he noticed while doing that that there was something different about these alcoholics in the physical sense. Right? in a physical sense. He came up with this idea that alcoholism starts with a physical disease. He described the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is the manifestations of an allergy. So it's a physical, I react physically to alcohol differently to most other people. And he says the phenomenon, and that this allergy causes a craving for more and more. And he said that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class, just to alcoholics, and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So what's he really talking about? Well, what happens when we take a drink? What happens when we take a drink? Well, we get that, there's a pleasant feeling we get and uh, we start to forget about our worries and our thinking slows down and we start getting a bit increased confidence and we get this reduced social anxiety. We can talk to other people more easily and then we actually get a bit more risk-taking and stuff. We do things that we wouldn't normally do, we might be too shy to do. Whenever I drank, that's what happened. I would get those effects. And the thing about those effects with alcohol, everyone who drinks gets those effects. That's why it's one of the most popular uh, drugs in the world. 45% of the world's adult population drinks alcohol at times, right? 
and every one of them drink, you know, get that effect. And that's why, because they're after that effect. Now, the thing about me, when I drink alcohol, I get all those effects, but I get a, another effect as well. And this is what Silkworth is talking about. This, this, uh, I get this craving for more whenever I start drinking. Whereas most people can have a couple of drinks, they can feel those, those effects, and then they can get to a point where they say, no thanks, I ha- I've had enough. I found whenever I drank, I, I would never get to a point where I thought that's enough. I never thought, you know, I, I couldn't understand that. You know, how can you say that's enough? I just want another one and another one. And this, and this is what Silkworth's talking about. This is an allergy. It's an abnormal reaction to alcohol. All those other ones, that's a normal reaction to alcohol, but I have this abnormal reaction, this craving to keep going and keep going. So what happens? I have that drink and then another drink and another drink and other people are slowing down or stopping and going home, but I want to keep on drinking and keep, keep on drinking. So what happens to me more often than not is I get drunk, okay? I get drunk and when I get drunk, well, I get a bit cheeky, a bit loud, might get a bit amorous, you know, a bit clumsy, I you know, get a bit argumentative at times. Maybe I start rambling on and on about things, all sorts of things. I might get a bit gloomy, crying into my beer, miserable. I might start getting rude and saying things to people, insulting things I wouldn't normally say. I might get reckless, do things that, you know, a bit dangerous, uh, a bit irrational, indecent even, offensive, despondent, or maybe aggressive. And uh, all sorts of... It's, we have different reactions, actually. If, if a bunch of us were here drinking tonight, you know, there'd be different reactions, right? There'd be some of us wanting to, to, to dance on the table and do the karaoke, right? There'd be a couple of other people, right, getting into a philosophical argument and trying to solve all the world's problem. There'll be a couple of old mates telling each other, oh, I love you, mate, I love you, you're my best friend. <laughs> There's another couple under the table snogging on, okay... <laughs> And there's a bunch of guys up the back f- having a fight, okay? <laughs> All sorts of different reactions when we drink alcohol. And then, of course, you know, and then we start... If we keep on doing this over and over and over again, it actually affects us and we start blacking out and we start passing out. And, of course, who remembers, of course, the hangovers afterwards? Now, lots of people drink alcohol and a lot of people, even who aren't alcoholic, occasionally get drunk, especially when we're young, we try it out, that sort of thing, but... A lot of people then realise that they can't do that all the time, you know, and, and when it's causing a whole lot of problems, uh, they might want to slow down and stop. This is what the big book says about, about people who drink. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. So for all sorts of people, if they keep drinking, they they can get certain problems and things. So if drinking is causing problems... It's a good idea to moderate or to stop altogether. And the book actually points out that for some people, they can. Right? If, if drinking is out of control, if they're drinking too much and it's causing other problems, they're getting drunk too often, then some people can just say, well, I'm going to cut down. And they can. And other people go, well, I'm having trouble cutting down, but I've got a really good reason I'm going to quit altogether. 
That's the heavy drinker. They get to a point, they might drink a lot, but if there's a really good reason, they can say no and they can actually stop drinking. But then there's another type of person. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He's a real Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tired at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. So it's pointing out alcoholics are a lot like other people, right? In a lot of ways, except for this one thing, except when it comes to drinking alcohol, when the alcoholic becomes incredibly dishonest and selfish. So what happens to an alcoholic like me? I keep on drinking and I keep on drinking. I start drinking more often. I start sneaking drinks because I know that I don't drink the same way as other people and I'm starting to feel guilty about it. I'm drinking before I go out, right? loading up beforehand. I start lying to people about how much I'm drinking. It's one of the really early signs of alcoholism. I start lying to other people about how much I'm drinking. I start covering up. I start hiding bottles and I start hiding empties. Now that's strange, isn't it? Because I understand I've got to hide the, hide the bottles so my wife doesn't throw, you know, find them and throw them out. But why am I hiding the empties? That's because I'm feeling guilty. I know that there's something wrong with my drinking. And I don't want other people to, to, to see the way that I'm actually drinking. And I start breaking promises. You know, I'm promising to be home on time. I'm promising to be at the kids' football game. I'm promising to not drink. And I start breaking those promises. Um, I start obsessing about drinking. Even when I'm not drinking, I'm thinking about it. And then I start lying to myself about how much I'm drinking. I start drinking alone. I become really selfish, particularly around alcohol, and then I start isolating. If I keep on drinking, if I'm an alcoholic and I keep on drinking, these things build up, build up over time. For some, for some of us, it happens really quickly. For other of us, of us, it can take some time, you know, you know, 5, 10, 15, even longer years. But these things build up and build up, and at this point, my drinking is totally out of control. And this is what... Uh, Silkworth is talking about, Silkworth talks about uh, for an alcoholic, they've lost control of their drinking. So what does he say, say says happens then? He says, well, their problems pile up on them and they become astonishingly, astonishingly difficult to solve. So what sort of problems do we get because of our drinking? Well, we get relationships pro problems, having to lie and cover things up. We're getting money problems because we're wasting all my money on, our money on alcohol. 
Uh, we're getting health problems that's starting to affect our health in all sorts of different ways. Uh, we're getting problems at work because I'm not showing up or I'm hungover and I'm getting family problems, arguments and things going on in my family. And what, happens to me is, what happened to me as an alcoholic, these things built up and built up. You know, these problems would build up. And this, but the doctor has a suggestion. If I've got all of these problems in my life, the only relief we have to suggest is entire, entire abstinence. I can't afford to dr drink because when I do it goes out of control. This is a really smart idea. Silkworth suggests, if that's the case, if I'm an alcoholic, that's all we can suggest. We need to stop drinking. So I do. I stop drinking. I make that decision. My life's in a mess. I make that sane decision. I'm going to stop. What happens when we stop drinking? Well, we go into withdrawal. Anyone remember this? We go and you know, there's anxiety and there's nausea and insomnia. We can't sleep. I start getting mood swings and I'm restless, irritable and discontent. I know I need to stop, but this is really, really uncomfortable, particularly for the first week or so. And what I keep on thinking about all this time, I know I don't want to drink, but there's that constant thought of having a drink, having a drink. And very often I then give into it. And when I give into it, it sets off the craving again. It goes out of control. I've got nowhere. All the problems are still there. So once again, I really need to stop. I really, the wife's about to leave or I'm about to lose my job and I make that decision to stop again. So I stop. Once again, there's that withdrawal. Not very comfortable. Struggle through, but there's that temptation. There's the temptation and I pick it up again and life stays bad. Next time I do it again. Okay, the life isn't getting any better, so I stop. There's that withdrawal that detoxing but this time I'm really mean it this time for sure this time I'm going to battle through I'm going to battle through and I might actually go and get some medical help actually at the end of my drinking the only way the only way that I could stop drinking even for a few days was actually to get some medical help or even go, or go into a detox but I really need to do it because my life is falling apart so I make that decision and I stop I get that medical I get through the withdrawal and I stop drinking now, what happens when I stop drinking? Well, life gets better. Life gets better. You know? My health's improving. I can remember even after 10 days in a detox in the pool house or somewhere, you know, going in there feeling really sick and sorry for myself. After 10 days, a few good meals and a vitamin B injection, I'm, feeling really, I'm starting to feel really much better. And, I, and, and if I can stay sober a bit longer than that, I'll get even better. And then... Um, you know, my money problems start to go away because I'm actually not spent wasting all my money on, my, on grog. My relationships improve because I don't have to lie and cover things up. I'm actually showing up on time and keeping promises. My work starts to get better because I'm showing up and I'm actually working to my full potential. And I've got a lot of potential, like lots of alcoholics. And I start getting my family back together and people start trusting me. So whenever I stop drinking, life gets better. Life gets better. And then what, what happens? I stay sober for a few weeks or maybe a few months and then I have this other thought, ah, life's going really well now. Now I'll be okay to drink. All those problems that I thought were causing me to drink have been overcome. You know, I've been sober two months or three months or, or you know, I used to do it actually after two weeks, but yeah, <laughs> I'd have that thought, I'm feeling really good, I'm okay to drink again. So I pick up that drink again. What happens when I pick up the drink? It sets off the craving again. It goes out of control and once again, life turns bad. All those problems come back into my life, the relationship problems, the money problems, health problems, employment problems come back into my life.
We're going to have a look at an example of this happening. And for this example, we're going to use this guy. This guy's name is Bill Wilson. Okay, you may have heard of him, right? Pretty important in AA. He was one of the guys who, uh, who actually founded AA. His story is the very first chapter of the AA book. Now, Bill was a very smart guy. In fact, um, and he was, he was a, a, stock, uh, stock market, a stock broker and a stock speculator. And he started drinking when he was in the army and, uh, and he enjoyed it to start with. But he noticed that there was something, something about his drinking. And over the next few years, his drinking started to interfere with, lots of different, with, him, with his life in lots of different ways. He was able to be quite successful. He actually became a multi-millionaire while he was drinking. But every now and then, something would happen. He went to uni, he went to college to become a lawyer, and that didn't happen because he was drinking a lot of the time. But, but he got involved with Wall Street and, and really made a lot of money. In, 1930, in 1929, um, Bill was drinking a lot, but he was, he was quite wealthy. But then there's a stock market crash, and he lost all his money. And, uh, and, uh, and then he moved to Canada for a little while and he sort of started making money back again. But once again, his drinking starts to get worse and get, interferes with that and he has to leave Canada and come back to New York again. This is in the, back the middle of his story. He mentioned this, this incident. Uh, so this is... Uh, he's getting a bad reputation in Wall Street because of his drinking. He's lost a whole lot of friends and uh, he's having trouble making money and things like that. Um, and so this is in 1932. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932 and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. So this is 1932. This story, in the big book, is just this one little paragraph about it, but um, uh, he actually tells this full, the full story in another AA book called Pass It On, which is the story of Bill Wilson and how the AA message reached the world. I'm really fascinated by this story about what actually happened. So this is what it says about this particular deal... Right. Remember, Bill's starting to get a really bad reputation, but he's put this deal together. This is what it says out of this book. Pass it on. Bill was utterly overjoyed by this chance to make a comeback. His new partners, impressed by his ideas, assigned him a generous share, but made one important stipulation in their contract. If Bill started drinking again, not only would he, the deal be off, but also he would lose his interest in the venture. I signed the agreement and drew a tremendous sigh of relief, Bill remembered. Confident that he was on the road to financial recovery, he plunged into the work. For the next two or three months, things went well. To his amazement, he had little urge to drink. In fact, he felt a complete lack of temptation. Word soon got around and his reputation on Wall Street began to improve. This led to another opportunity. So there's Bill. He's got this deal going. Uh, he claimed uh, elsewhere, he claimed this was going to be worth $250,000. That's a lot of money back in 1932. But to get the deal, he had to sign a thing saying, I won't drink. And he stops drinking. And over three, you know, it says three or four months, things are getting better. And he actually feels as though this, you know, not drinking is, is, is easy. And his reputation's coming back. Everything's going really well. Life's back on track for Bill because he's not drinking. In that, that other opportunity then talked about is that he, another bunch of guys got together. They're going to buy this factory in Jersey and it was a new factory uh, making photographic plates. And Bill and a couple of, other, a couple of engineers uh, went to Jersey and, and, uh, to check out this factory because that, that's what Bill used to do before he bought stuff. He'd go and check out the factories and stuff. Um, 
and uh, so he's there in Jersey at this hotel and the two engineers started playing cards and, uh, and gambling and they invited Bill to join them and he said, no, I don't gamble. And they were drinking. They were drinking this stuff. It was called uh, Jersey Lightning. It's a, an apple cider uh, brandy. And they offered, offered a drink to Bill and Bill said, no, I don't drink. And a bit later on in the night, they've offered him another drink again and he said, no, he actually explains to them, no, I can't drink because if I drink, I might lose this, hu- this deal that I'm in. I'll lose a lot of money. Can you imagine yourself, you know, what if someone said to you, I'll give you $250,000 not to drink, okay? Anyway, he's still with them and then a bit later on, they offer it to him again and he has a different reaction. This is what he said. Well, I guess one bolt of Jersey lightning couldn't hurt me much. He was drunk for three days. Word of the debacle soon reached Wall Street. It was the end of his contract and of his comeback. So, over that one drink, he's lost $250,000. Life turns bad again. What happened? He had that thought. that, That drink was offered to him. He picked it up. The craving kicked in. It went out of control. Life went bad again. Okay. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. So that was such a complete disaster. He then decides, that's it, I'm never going to drink again. Okay, he actually works out. He's actually worked this out. He worked out about the first drink. You know, I could not take so much as one drink. So he knows about that first drink. And he's, he's going to stop drinking this time. And this, is, this time he's going to use willpower. And he really means it. He actually convinces his wife that he means it because he really, really does. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve, I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. So the willpower didn't work. He's picked up that drink. It goes out of control again, you know, once again. And he starts to wonder, he starts to wonder, am I crazy? So Bill's picked up on this thing, this insanity, the insanity of the first drink. He'd made the decision not to drink, but he did the insane thing and went ahead and did it anyway. Soon after that, then Bill you know, he wants to try again. He, he goes into hospital. His brother-in-law was a doctor and was able to get him into this hospital. This is the town's hospital uh, to detox. It was a drug and alcohol hospital where he met Dr Silkworth. <coughs> and so he met Dr Silkworth and found out about, uh, about the disease. This is what he said. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. Though it often remains as strong, though it often remains strong in other respects, my incredible behaviour in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer: self-knowledge. So Bill now understands the disease. Okay, now he knows the answer. Self-knowledge. Life is getting better. He says once again, for three or four months, the goose hung high. <laughs> that means fortune, you know, he's having good fortune. It's, it comes from an old saying that if you see geese flying way up in the, 
right way up high, that's good luck, and if they're flying low, that's bad luck. That's what that means. The goose hung high, his life is getting much better, he's even making money on Wall Street, he's sober three or four months. So that's, the, that's it, he knows the answer. Self-knowledge, that's my answer. But it was not. For the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a sky jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delir delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. So now he's facing the prospect that this is going to kill him. So self-knowledge doesn't work. He had that thought to have a drink. The insanity kicked in, right? He picked up that first drink. The craving then kicks in. It goes out of control. Life turns bad again. And this is what I identified with. Over and over again, for nearly three years, I tried to stop drinking and I failed and I failed and I'd fail. I'd stop drinking. I'd get through that withdrawal, you know, get some medical help to do that and life would get better because I'm not drinking. But then that thought would come into my head, it's okay to have a drink or that, just that, oh, I can do it again. But then there's that insanity. Elsewhere in the book talks about this strange mental twist when I forget about all those bad things that have happened. Strange mental... It just, just doesn't come to mind. And I have no defence against that first drink. And I pick up the first drink, the craving kicks in, it goes out of control, life turns bad again. I really want to stop. I go through the withdrawal, life gets better again, but there it is, there's that drink, that thought, that insanity, and I pick it up again. This is, uh, but why do I do it? Why do we keep on doing that over and over again? This is what the book says. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily, in, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. They don't know the answer, but they can see it's happening over and over again. It points out there that while the alcoholic keeps away from the drink, as he might do, we're much like anyone else. You know, we can get on with life without the drink. Um, we can be happy and then we content or, or we start being confident and sometimes we might get a bit complacent. That can be a bit dangerous. We might get bored or sad or mad or glad or indifferent, but that's just life. Life's going on without a drink. And then what happens? You know, if, if I also know 
I also know life's getting better. If I pick up a drink again, it's still there. That disease, is, that allergy is still there. If I pick up a drink again, it'll go out of control, the craving kicks in, it goes out of control and life will turn bad again. All those, all those uh, uh, problems will come back in my life. Yeah. Life has ups and downs and challenges. Sometimes when we're early around, we first stop, you know, it's been described that we have this pink cloud, okay? We're just really excited about being sober and everything's going well. But then after a little while, that can wear off, okay? That can wear off because that's just life. And there might be some sadness in my life or stress or worry. And those things I start, you know, when those things are coming to my life, I start thinking about that drink again. But I resist it, you know? I try willpower and self-knowledge. I know, you know, things aren't so happy anymore, right? I've got past that pink cloud, but I know if I drink again, all those bad things are happen will happen again. But there was always a curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, reasoning there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity, how could it have happened again? Wow. So we use something as an excuse, you know, and we, even though we know that life is made worse by, when I drink again, but even when I'm sober, there's, that, you know, there's the normal ups and downs of life, but as well as that, there's all the stuff that I've done in the past starts catching up with me. So I'm not back to sort of like everyone else because I've done a whole lot of damage in the past while I was drinking. I've hurt people, I've stolen stuff, I've, I've uh, you know, had, you know, done really bad things in relationships and so relationships aren't as healthy as they should be. And I've got this, I start getting this guilt about the past and remorse, guilt and remorse and then anger and blaming other people for where I ended up and then resentment against certain people, and then I start getting fear. Right? And what happens when that happens? Well, you know, I start thinking about that drink some more. In some circumstances, we've gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we begin to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. So I start using those negative things in, in my life as an excuse to pick up again. But what this is pointing out is that those excuses are insanely insufficient when compared... I mean, sure, life's not going as well as I would like it to be, but they're insanely insufficient compared to what I know is going to happen if I, if I pick up that drink again. I, pick, you know, I use those things, those negative things as, in my life as, a, as an excuse. The insanity kicks in. I pick up the drink. The craving goes out of control and life turns really bad. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc <coughs> an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. <coughs> Once in a while he may tell the truth, 
and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. So that's the baffling part, isn't it? That's the baffling part for me. Why is it that I keep picking up a drink again? Life would be getting, well, getting better and I'd pick up a drink. Life would go bad and I'd pick up a drink. You know? A number of times, you know, I'd go into a detox, I'd come out of there. I was into Paul House a number of times. I'd come out of there, I can remember getting a really great job at the Botanic Gardens in the city, working with a whole bunch of scientists, looking after their computer systems and stuff, and it was really great. I loved the environment, I loved the people I was with. Life was getting better. And why would I pick up a drink? But I did. And it went out of control, I lost that job. A bit later on, I've got another job. got a good job with Telstra and, and installing computer systems and stuff like that. Once again, I'm, it's cutting-edge stuff. At the time, though, you know, our mobile phones were brand new. <laughs> so it's cutting-edge stuff. And, uh, and then one day I was out, out for lunch with some other guys and, uh, at the pub and, and I said, one won't hurt. Didn't take very long and I lost that job as well. This is a really baffling part. You hear about alcoholism being cunning, baffling and powerful. The baffling part is, why do I keep on doing it? If I only ever picked up a drink because life was going bad, then it wouldn't be baffling, would it? The baffling thing is that I, I pick up a drink under all sorts of circumstances. So back to Bill. Bill goes back into the hospital again. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice Day 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. Bill's actually taking step one there. He comes to this point and says, alcohol was my master. He knows how powerless he is. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And he certainly his life is unmanageable. But even then, even after he's admitted defeat, he's taken step one, then sanity's still there and he picks it up again. So even fear and despair can't stop him drinking. The insanity's there. He picks up the drink, the craving kicks in, it goes out of control and life gets even worse and it's going to kill him. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives have become unmanageable. That's acknowledging the insanity. So what hope is there? What hope is there? Well, the hope in the AA program is actually in step two. If I'm powerless over alcohol, step two suggests that we came to believe in it that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So step two is about sanity, about that hope. The book actually tells us what this hope, this hope is. It, 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 when we get to this chapter, uh, on, uh, in chapter four, it actually re-describes the disease and then tells us what hope there is. In the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. 
if when you honestly want to you find you cannot quit entirely or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take you are probably alcoholic if that be the case you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer so there's a solution that AA is offering a spiritual experience that that can conquer my illness a spiritual experience so how do I get that how do I get a spiritual experience? Well, that's what these things are all about. In fact, that's what this whole weekend is about, is about, about these 12 steps that is designed to give an alcoholic like me a spiritual experience. Step one, I know about the problem. I've admitted defeat. Step two, I believe that I can recover because I've seen a whole lot of other people recover in AA. I meet people who've recovered with this 12-step program. I make a decision a decision to go through the rest of the process, to start out on this spiritual path. Then I get these middle steps. You know, we'll hear a lot about these ones tomorrow, uh, all day tomorrow, talking about these middle steps, where I take an inventory and I share it with someone else. I become willing to change and I pray for help and I look for the harm I've done to other people and I go out and make amends. And when I get those, through those steps, those first, three, those first nine steps, by that time, I've had a spiritual experience. This is the spiritual experience that I'm after. Silkworth described this as a psychic change when I go through that process. Something changes in the way that I live and the way that I think, and I can leave the drink down. And then I can start living in the solution, those last three steps. We'll hear a lot more about those on Sunday, those last three steps. And we can, we've had a spiritual awakening and we, can be, we become unselfish and we want to help other people. <clears throat> okay, so there it is. That's our, that's our cycle. I went round and round and round on that. Right? I want to point out, you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to do it anymore. Bill went round and round and round that cycle over and over again. So did I. It took, you know, for nearly three years I was going round and round until I eventually got to AA and was offered the solution. But you don't have to go that long. It doesn't have to t- go over and over again. I want to tell you another story, also out of the big book, about Fred. Fred only went through the cycle once. So Fred, his story is also in the chapter more about alcoholism. Fred is a businessman. He's actually an accountant. He's the partner in a big account, a huge accounting firm in the States. Talks about him as having an attractive personality, makes friends with everyone, uh, good income, stable, well-balanced and good judgment. Now, does he sound like an alcoholic? Well, he was. He was an alcoholic. His drinking was starting to get out, of, get out of hand and he goes into hospital. He goes into hospital, actually, to calm his nerves. Okay? While he's there, he meets some people from AA and they explain to him about the disease and he identifies with the craving aspect of it. He identifies that when he drinks, it goes out of control. Right? And, he, and, and he says... Okay, that's great, but I'll never do it again. And they said, well, if you have an alcoholic mind, you'll probably do it again. And he said, no, now that I have that information, you know, I'm very strong-willed in a lot of ways. I will never drink again. Thanks for the information. Great. So Fred gets sober. He stays sober for a few months. A few months. Life gets better again. Okay, he's back on top at work. He then flies from New York to Washington as part of his business, has to give a presentation for a government, uh, for a government uh, department. Um, he goes there and he does the presentation. This is how he describes this particular day. Remember, this is a, he's a few months sober and things are getting, going really well. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. 
I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. So he picks that up. Now notice this, this is the end of a... Per- he's not restless, irritable, discontent. End of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon, doesn't have a worry. The thought comes to him to have a drink and he goes ahead and does, uh, ahead and does it. He actually goes missing for three days. Doesn't even know where he was. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all. See, there's that insanity. You know, the thought came to, have a, came to him to have a drink and it, he just didn't recall. He didn't recall he was an alcoholic and that if he would drink, it would go out of control. There's that insanity. He ends up back in hospital again. This is what he said about it. I knew from the moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, (laughs) which I didn't like so much, and then asked if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality, such as I had exhibited in Washington, was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. That was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. So Fred goes through that program and gets sober. There was that cycle he was on. Goes through that program and the insanity disappears. If the insanity's not there, then I don't pick up the first drink. The craving doesn't kick in. Life doesn't go bad again. I don't need to do those detoxes again. And I actually start you know, not thinking about drinking so much. And what am I left with then, now that I'm sober? Well, life. Now I have life. Uh, Life has all sorts of things, you know, ups and downs and sadnesses and triumphs and all sorts of things, but that's what it is. It's life, but now I can live life to the full because I'm not picking up a drink. In fact, Fred says in his story that once once he'd been through that program and he got sober, he discovered that those same spiritual principles that he used to get sober now enabled him to live life and deal with other problems in life as well. That's life. Back to Bill again. So what's happened to Bill? Bill, 
Bill's sitting at home. You know, he's hopeless. He can't work. He can't work anymore. Uh, he's, he's given up the ghost. He's sitting at home drinking. His wife's out working. And he gets a call from his old schoolmate, Ebby, who says, can I come around and see you? Now, Ebby was a drinking partner who got sober. He got sober with a spiritual program, not an AA, because this was before AA, but with a, with a religious group called the Oxford Group. And Ebby comes to see Bill and gives him some hope that maybe there's a spiritual answer to his problem. Bill gets some hope from that. He goes back into hospital. And while he's there, he detoxes. He goes through that withdrawal, he detoxes, and then Ebby comes in to see him. And Bill goes through that process of admitting defeat, and he took an inventory and he shared it with Ebby, and he became willing to change, and he became willing to make amends. And Bill had this really sudden and profound spiritual experience. And for him, it happened overnight. For most of us, it's not that quick. But for him, it was really pow-type experience. Silkworth said to him the next day, something's happened to you I don't understand, but you better hang on to it. Anything's better than the way that you were. So Bill gets sober. He's had this spiritual experience by going through that, that series of spiritual exercises that had been given to him by Ebby. Bill then gets, you know, life gets better again because he's not drinking again. Six months, Bill's six months sober and once again he wants to make back his millions of dollars. Okay? Puts together another deal. Another deal. This one's in Akron in Ohio. He and some other people were going to buy, uh, buy this, take over this tyre and rubber company and Bill was going to be made the president of the company and he was going to be a millionaire again. Great. Fantastic. Life's getting better because he's not drinking. Also along the way, he also discovered another thing is that actually he was trying to help other people and drag them into the Oxford group and get them sobered up. Didn't get anyone else sobered up. But that was another thing he was doing while, during this time. But life's getting better. He goes to Akron. But when he gets to Akron, the deal isn't going so well. They haven't got enough proxy votes to actually overturn the current board you know, and make Bill the president. And he's there a little while and he actually starts running out of, running out of money and he starts getting lonely. Life's getting better, but this particular day, it's a bit, you know, not a particularly good day. In the last chapter of the, of the, of the first part of our book, in the, in the chapter, A Vision for You, it actually goes on and tells, tells us what happened to Bill then. One dismal afternoon, he paced a hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Of course he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober for six months now? Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatters still floated to him from the bar. But what about his responsibilities? His family and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well. Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. 
his sanity returned and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. Wow. That gives me chills, that does. You know? Notice there, there was that thought again, but something else is there. And he thanks God. He realises that he, he didn't bring about that change himself. He thanks God. And his next thought, his thought is, is about those people he wants to help. Because really, in the end, the most selfish thing I can do as an alcoholic is pick up another drink again. I go through this program and it's about becoming unselfish. And I have that, if, those times where I do think of a drink, if my next thought is, if I do that, how can I help other people? If my, I turn my attention I can, to someone I can help. That's actually referring to step 10. It's how we, what we practice. When we notice something, we're feeling, feeling uh, you know, uh, anger or fear or dishonesty coming into our lives. It says, you know, we ask God to remove it. You know, we talk, to, talk about it to someone else. We make amends if we need to. And then we turn our attention to someone I can, we can help. This is the sanity. There was that temptation to drink. And instead of doing the insane thing, he had a sane thought. I need to help some other people. He picked up that phone, got onto this guy. <laughs> That's Dr. Bob. And they met and these guys started AA. Thanks for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.